Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and today we have the good pleasure of having my friend Robert Wright on the show. Now, Robert is a lawyer, particular, uh, particularly uh, he helps on, like, he has a lot of information. So, to, particularly, what we're going to be discussing today is how to protect your online business. Uh, how to protect your private label stuff on uh, a little bit on Amazon FBA, but most importantly, how to essentially cover your ass because if you don't cover your ass, uh, it's going to cost you a lot of money. I mean, you've seen the cases with the FTC, sometimes with other unions and the Better Business Bureau and other places all around the world, shutting good businesses down that just weren't legally ready for what came their way. And it's a great way to uh, cover your ass. That being said, Robert, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the uh, the time and certainly look forward to speaking with you. Dude, I'm so happy to have you here because this is something yeah. um, that's absolutely incredible. Like, it's one of my favorite things. Of, like, I love talking to people that have a unique thing that I'm not good at because I can ask as many humanly questions as possible. <laughs> but real quick before well, we get started, go on. Well, I was going to say, I, I appreciate that. Most of the time, people are kind of scared off by lawyers and they're like, ah, you know, kill all the lawyers. So it's glad to hear that uh, you're, you're, you want to talk to me. That's a good thing. And frankly, you know, I think most entrepreneurs, if they just, if the law was a little friendlier, you know, maybe they'd, they'd welcome lawyers in a little bit more to, to help give them some guidance as they launch their businesses. Awesome. That's actually very, very true. Um, so that that's actually... That's very true and quite powerful because a lot of people really don't read. They, they get scared off by lawyers. And there is that whole essence of um, it's a mystical jujitsu that we can't because <laughs> you guys just throw us around. Or Aikido yeah. in that case. But that being yeah. said, real quick before we get started, I do want to give a quick mm-hmm. shout out to our sponsors for this episode, which is, of course, um, yourself for this episode, which is Council. That's C-O-N-C-O-U-N-S-E-L in the cloud.com. Head on over, pick up Robert's free gift, which is currently hopefully either a live website right now, or you can actually opt in for his brand protection blueprint, which is actually brilliant. I just had a quick uh, look through before we actually got started, um, just because I really wanted to have a look at what was actually there, because I love reading other people's information uh, like that. Oh, thanks. It's pretty cool. Um, and also, the show is sponsored by... Oh my god, my brain's actually blanking. Adelamarcy.com. It's where you can actually go check out previous episodes, go check out what we've done on our website, and by the time the show goes live, you'll also be able to check out thinklikeacopywriter.com, where we are running a challenge every couple of weeks to help you write your first email sequence profitably and properly. Now, that being said, my first question to you more than anything, Robert, is I saw that you had something called the right way, the W-R-I-G-H-T way. I've got to ask, yeah. um, what is that? Please explain that to me a little bit more. Yeah. So, I mean, the right way is I think about it, you know, is I work with entrepreneurs and, you know, most of my clients are, you know, folks that maybe they've started a side hustle and they just want it to be a side hustle or they've started a business and, you know, they're kind of serious, kind of not, but, but, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're small small fish in a big pond as it were and and kind of the disconnect that i think happens between the law and and you know a business model where you can just you know basically launch any sort of business on the internet these days it's just any sort of you know formal structure or formal protection or formal process that you would normally go through if you were launching a formal brick and mortar business and so the right way is really you know taking a client through through stages of business development, stages of legal protection, things that they should be doing to protect their interests, to protect their brands, to protect their copyrights, and safely sell online. It's not overly complicated, but it is very formulaic, right? And so, 
you know, that first step is really safe, uh, protecting your personal assets. You know, yeah. so many people, they just launch a business and they're like, oh, I don't need to form a, a limited company or an LLC or incorporate. I'll get to that later. Right. Yeah, but exactly. as they, as they go out and do business, like their, their entire personal assets are at stake, you know, their bank account, their car, their house, and they don't even really know it. And so that first step really just you know, take a minute formal a formal business structure and start running your business through it that's step number one of the right way yeah i would agree and just kind of to touch on that something that's quite interesting is there was a time not too long ago where big companies were being like guys you don't need to form an llc or an s corp or anything like that you just need to get started get your first customer and then like go ahead and form these which don't get me wrong for a very long time including myself i actually still but i believe that and to some degree still believe that because you don't want to go through the paperwork of forming an LLC and everything like that. And then you go to town, go to market and no one buys because you haven't yeah. got a proof of concept. But the workaround, and, at least for me, is I'd love to hear your opinion on the workaround. Yeah, well, I think there's a fine line, right? So like the guidance that you'll hear in entrepreneurial communities and, and it's spot on is, is, you know, just, you know, run fast and break things if, you, if you're Mark Zuckerberg or just, you know, just start movement. Like any good, any movement's good mo movement. And, you, you know, if you're moving forward, you can figure out stuff later on. And yeah, that that's true. I mean, you, you want to you, you don't want to bog yourself down in in legalese or, or entity formation or, you know, if fixing your the perfect branding or the business cards or, you know, all that feels like progress when it's really not. So I get why that's in a lot, a lot of entrepreneurial circles. It's just, you know, just go hustle, just move. But at the same time, I think that's dangerous depending upon the nature of your business. I mean, I think if if it's not if it's not necessarily something you have to do straight out of the gate, but I would say pretty early stage. Once you start to think, you know what, I've actually got something viable here. I wouldn't even wait till it's actually viable, but you know what, this is moving in a good direction. This might be a thing. That's when you start thinking about entity formation. And you know, entity formation, it's not doesn't have to be overly complicated. It's not one of those things that you have to go down to you know a formal accountancy practice or a formal you know, traditional brick and mortar law firm, so many resources, you know, kind of self-serve resources available on the internet. Certainly, you know, here in the States, I mean, I'm a virtual law practice and accessible online. Frankly, with the, with the pandemic, I think you're going to see more of more accessibility around practitioners, whether it's accountants or lawyers, you know, making it available for people to, to form entities because yeah, you got to run fast and break things. That's entrepreneurship. But at the same time, you've got to do it safely and smartly. And that means, you know, adding that degree of legitimacy, if nothing else, by having some sort of formal entity that you're running your business through. And that's actually extremely clever, because if you don't do that, then obviously you can, you can, you have uh, just like how law firms start forming, have people, um, not even law firms, forms that are forming, not even law firms that are forming. I've heard of shady law firms forming uh where what they'll do is they'll basically openly sue you for no apparent reason until like it's kind yeah. of an extortion racket really more than anything in that case and so there are some that do that obviously uh, otherwise mm -hmm. we wouldn't hear about them um and they're well within their legal limits of doing so because of what like i i can't remember what the legal reasons are that they can do so but from that perspective someone can do that with you if you're a newly formed business if you like they could be like okay say it's a copywriting uh business or you're a freelance writer yeah. or you're a agency what they can yeah. do is go, okay, um, I want to be a real asshole to this person. So what I'm going to do is I know mm -hmm. they haven't formed an LLC. They haven't formed anything that's a limited corporation or an entity. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to hire them. 
but my whole intention is to waste their time and then find a way for them to screw up so I can actually get a refund. If they so, say no, I can, I can sue them. That, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. That, that's I, a very long-winded way of saying basically someone could try and screw you over. So be protected. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's that. And, and, and I always try to be positive and think that there are good people in the world. So I, I try to look at the glass half full, but um, you're right. I mean, there are, there are companies out there that will take advantage of the small business owner, right? And if you, you know, come to a business relationship and, you know, you're not, you're a sole proprietor, you don't have any sort of, of limited company or LLC or a corporation that you're running your business through. Maybe you don't even have like a formal contract template. I mean, you just smell of side hustle, which is not a, it's not a dirty word, but like it just, you know, the, 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 the way you're entering that relationship just, it, it leaves itself open to you being taken advantage of. That's going to, that's going to create some problems for you down the road. You know, I think is something, you know, you're talking about kind of, you know, nefarious law firms going around suing people. I don't know that they're they're nefarious necessarily, but one of the things is the internet's become what it is. It's just we have a copy and paste sort of internet society, right? And if you see an image, ah, that's a great image. I'm just going to copy and paste it, put it into my, you know, my my pitch deck or my website or my, you know, whatever creative that you're putting together for clients. You can't do that. You know that somebody owns that image, and there's a number of services number of firms making a good bit of money just kind of crawling the internet looking for you know people that copy and paste images and then you know you call it a shakedown and i guess it kind of is in terms of of the approach but you know if if you're using someone's photos someone's you know copyrightable assets without permission um they're well within their legal rights to say you know you need to stop and oh by the way you need to pay me some money because i'm the author and i have certain rights under the law of course, it is. It is essentially that. Keep it, and it goes back to that same thing. Cover your butt. Make sure your ass is Co- covered. Cover, um, cover your butt. But what I was going to say was, um, just to kind of like backtrack on this, very, very similar in the sense that I like to look at things very, very half full, or just as a glass that is just halfway full, more mm-hmm. than halfway empty. Yeah. I, as a copywriter, you, you get to see so many insane things happen that you just always like, oh, yeah. I got to be a little bit more realistic. But again, it's all down to mindsets and what you do. My So that's the, f- the first step is basically covering yourself. Did we cover the mm-hmm. second step the right way or no? Yeah, well, the, yeah, no, no. So the right, the first part, and I, in, in stepping back from it, like I, I kind of take the position, even though this is, this is maybe not the glass half full, but it's business is war, right? Like yeah, business is tough. Like people are coming after you, whether it's your competitors, whether it's, you know, if you're selling on Amazon, I mean, you know, people, you know, hijackers abound, counterfeiters, all that sort of stuff, right? So you've got to be prepared for that. And so as I think about the right way, it's really preparing for that war, that first step protecting your personal assets, running your business through some sort of proper entity. The second step is bulletproofing your brand. You know, so I don't care if you're a consultancy, whether you're an agency, whether you're selling physical products, whatever it is, your brand's important. And just as you, Adel, in the copywriting space kind of see so many crazy things, I see so many crazy things with online businesses that they've just chosen a name, you know, for their service or their product. No, no diligence at all. Didn't even do a basic Google search to see if maybe somebody else has already taken it. Um, and they end up, you know, using, using basically copying and swiping someone's brand name and then getting into a world of trouble, you know, later on. I had a, I had a client here recently. 
she was doing private label and and literally she thought she had done the right thing in terms of coming up with their brand name. It was it was kind of a unique word. It was a made up word. Um, but as we were looking to to register her trademark, which is effectively bulletproofing your brand, um, we found that someone had the exact same name on the exact same product. And here she was. She's got ten thousand spatulas. Let's just you know say for hypothetical purposes. And she's got to figure out you know with the brand name you know plastered all over it. You know how do you how do you liquid with eight ten thousand spatulas. It's not a not an easy thing to do necessarily, but uh, you know, bulletproofing your brand, making sure that the brand name you've chosen for your business is you know functions as a trademark, meaning it you know distinguishes you from all the other services, all the other products in the marketplace, and then registering that so you know, with the with your trademark office in the country where you're selling, so you don't have to worry about you know did I steal you know do I actually have rights to my branding. Uh, to me, you know, your brand is is just such a cornerstone of your business, and if you're not protecting it you know, through you know easily available legal means, you're doing yourself a disservice. I would agree so. I would very much agree so because, like again, uh, as Jay Abraham tends to say, if you don't actually take every precaution or basically do every single thing you can for what you do um, that would help you down the line, you're doing a disservice to yourself, to your client, and everyone in between. Just yeah. not cool at all in the slightest. So I did want to actually just like hop into um, something a little bit further down the line, which is essentially yeah. protecting your business in three simple mm -hmm. steps because you actually yep. have that as a methodology like completely down pat. So I'm very curious to how did you, A, how does someone do it in three steps? And B, what are some of the examples that you've actually seen of someone um, doing so? Like yeah. When yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. So, I mean, the, the methodology, the three simple step methodology, which is literally personal asset protection, brand protection, and then work of authorship protection, um, it, it honestly came from experience. So my practice has always been, you know, as I said at the at the top of the podcast, you know, centered around folks that are, you know, just starting out, you know, whether it's a private label journey or a consultancy or, you know, a copywriting agency, whatever it is, you know, they're, they're early days in their business and they don't know what they don't know, right? And so, you know, working with those sorts of clients, you get a feel for their entrepreneurial journey and the things that uh, they experience, the things that they need, the things that ultimately they kind of, situations that they find themselves into. And, and so that methodology of, you know, um, protecting your personal assets, bulletproofing your brand, weaponizing your works of authorship, really, whether you're an infopreneur, you're a physical products person, agency, whatever it is, you're going to need a business entity. You're going to have a brand that, that makes sense to protect and works of authorship, whether they're, you know, digital assets like, you know, photography, whether it's a course, whether it's a set of templates, you know, if you're in the Amazon space, if it's your product photos, all of those are assets to your business that uh, frankly are, are just, you know, copying and pasting again, just pervasive on the internet these days. And if you, if you haven't taken the steps to protect those through a formal copyright registration, you're, you're just you're leaving money on the table, frankly, um, and you're just letting people get away with theft, which I just don't think is is particularly cool. Agreed. It really isn't. Now, just based on what you've just said, that I'm very, very curious about a certain um, aspect of it, and that is mm -hmm. that is the aspect of um, what's it called getting all the ship and basically registering the copyright to that. So for yeah. instance, I've been told in the past that if you have like say a term, for instance, that is specifically based to your business, it's something that you guys have come up with 
it's it's exclusively known as that you guys quote unquote invented this term that is uh, an intellectual piece of property because there's a book around it or something that you guys have written. Mm-hmm. From that perspective, how much legal protection can you actually use and get for that? Um, as I've been told in the past, you need to have an image associated to it as well as the term, and it has to be all like filed together in a trade for either trademark or copyright. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a great question, and I mean, it's one that comes up uh, off. Uh, you know, a good bit in the space, right? So as you think about you know, intellectual property generally, I, I think you, you can, we kind of need to step back a little bit and, and actually kind of distinguish and separate what we're talking about, right? So intellectual property is just this broad umbrella term for trademarks, copyrights, patents, and trade secrets, right? Trademarks protect names, logos, and slogans. I always think of Nike just because they do branding really well. You've got Nike, the term, you've got the, you know, the famous swoosh, and you've got the tagline, just do it, right? So if you've got a, a, a term, you know, whether it's a single word, two words, three words, a phrase, whatever it is, and you're associating it with a particular service or a particular product, that's a trademark. And as soon as you start using that in the market, you have certain rights. Those rights are geographically limited, though, in the space where you sell. And that's, you know, in the old days of brick and mortar, that was it was easy enough to figure out, right? If you had a store, you know, a storefront in New York City and people about 50 miles around came to visit you, okay, great. You've got a, a 50-mile geographic sphere in, in New York. And if somebody was doing something similar in San Francisco and the two never met, it was no problem. It was fine. But doing business on the internet is really different than that, right? You kind of sell everywhere, but not really anywhere. And so registering your mark with, you know, here in the States with the USPTO, if you're over in the UK, the UK IPO, um, you know, it takes those geographic spheres from small little pockets to, to nations, right? And so that just, that makes sense. So, you know, if you have that, you know, Termodil that, uh, you know, you're using on a product or a service, you can certainly think trademark there. But, and then we've got copyright, right? Copyright is an original work of authorship fixed in a tangible medium of expression. That's the formal legal definition. What does it actually mean? Well, it means, it means photos, it means guides, it means books, it means publications, it means, you know, art, you know, put on a canvas, recordings, you know, and all this, uh, this, this podcast is copyrightable, right? Like you're the author of this podcast, you've invited me, you have a copyright and this, you can do all sorts of stuff with it, right? You can copy it, you can distribute it, you can make a derivative work of it, you can, you know, just, you know, if you wanted to publish it, you know, translate it into a foreign language, you could do all those things because you're the copyright owner. Same thing with kind of what you're talking about in terms of a, of a word or a phrase. The rub is, a word or a phrase alone isn't copyrightable. It doesn't, it's not a work of authorship. It's not enough, right? And so if you've used that word or phrase and it's part of a guide, it's bundled with, you know, some text, it's bundled with images, it's bundled with other copyrightable assets, then you've got a work of authorship that's that's worthy of copyright protection. Uh, but if it's just a word or phrase alone, that's, that's going to be difficult uh, in terms of copyright. But Again, we, you know, when you think about intellectual property, you, whatever your it is, whether it's a word, a phrase, an image, a recording, you know, my guidance to clients is always, you know, treat it like the beautiful gift it is, right? Wrap it with any, as many layers of protection as possible. Trademark the brand elements. Copyright the works of authorship. If there's something nor, uh, you know, novel or unique in terms of the the methodology that's contained in the guide, and maybe that's patentable, and so make you know, you know patent that. Uh, lots of different. 
lots of different ways that you can protect your it, whatever it is. And I think all too often entrepreneurs just want to fit their their IP into just this neat little bucket of, oh, it's just a copyright or, oh, it's just a trademark or, oh, it's just a patent. When in reality, it can be a lot of those things if you're if you're creative and you're really looking at at your it from all angles. That's very interesting. Like very interesting because I'm like looking at it and thinking about my, about so many other things as well. Now there is something you just kind of like really touched upon, and we kind of went over. But I do want to focus on for just a second, and that is the idea yeah. of international copyright of intellectual property. Because you said there are different mm-hmm. pockets and then governing governing agencies in different countries, obviously. But say, for instance, I can't fly out to the U.S. or I can't fly out to another country, obviously because Corona and I've thought so we're doing. But I do want yeah. to file a um a copyright claim that you know i've I've come up with an idea um mm-hmm. a new website for instance and i'm starting to build all the assets around it and i need to copyright this uh this for both the uk and all say tier one countries like the uk canada australia mm-hmm. um new zealand and parts of europe how would i go about doing so when a i physically can't fly to these countries and b yeah. um it, it, like Actually, that's just it. Like, I can't go to those countries and I'm not a citizen of those countries. How can I copyright globally? Ah, well, you know, whether it's trademark, whether it's copyright, whether it's patent, the cool thing is you don't have to go to any of those countries, right? There are are different international treaties, but effectively, if you have rights in one, among, you know, kind of first world nations, quote unquote, is what I'm going to, civilized nations, if you will, um, there's a respect for intellectual property, right? So if I have a trademark here in the United States, there's certain international treaties that would allow me to to go and register and have rights in other countries where I'm selling. Uh, And that's the key. You've got to be in market in some form or fashion. So let's say that you have, you're this guy that is is published on the internet, right? This website, right? That you want to protect. You know, that's a work of authorship. And it's copyrightable. It vests as soon as you authored it, right? It is it is with you. Um, now, you know, registering the, the the copyright. You know, what I would do is, is certainly you're going to have a, a tremendous presence in the UK. You're going to have a tremendous presence in the in the United States. You know, going and doing a, a simple registration. They're all it's all online. You don't have to go to a physical office anywhere. You know, forms that you can fill out and complete online. And that registration number, once it issues. You're going to have a very, very powerful tool to go to websites, frankly, in every every country, um, and and have infringing content removed. With copyright in particular, and, I, and I'll talk about U.S. law here in the states, just because it, it's it's a tool that can be used internationally. Um, there's something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, right? And so, I'll give you an Amazon example because you know a good number of my my clients are Amazon. Um, it's pervasive on the platform that, you know, if someone has a best-selling item, uh, you know, another seller will just copy and paste their product photos, create a new listing and, and just sell a similar type product. There's differences, right? The branding's different. Maybe the bundling's different, but you know, they're just this, this rogue seller is effectively the same. This rogue seller just got lazy and said, I'm a, those are beautiful photos. I'm I'm going to copy them. Um, there, the digital millennium copyright act basically, says Amazon, we're if you have a process for allowing people to report theft like this, we're going to absolve you from copyright infringement. You get to step out of it. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about being vicariously liable, meaning that you know the person from whom the products were the photos were stolen could sue Amazon. Amazon doesn't want that. So there's a process where you go, you say, hey, Amazon, these folks, 
I have a good faith belief that they stole my product photos. Here's my registration number. And you know, my record is like within 48 minutes, Amazon uh, it took down the product photos. The, the, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act is a very, very effective mechanism for removing infringing content on the internet. And it's ultimately because the platform that you're complaining to, whether it's just you know an internet service provider, a uh, you know K- Kajabi that's hosting you know some video content, you know some course content, Amazon, eBay, whatever it is, Alibaba even, um, they don't want to be on the hook for copyright infringement. The Digital Millennium Copyright Act absolves them of that liability, but they have to take action on these complaints. And so, you know, having that registration number again. The 48 minutes, I don't say that to brag. And frankly, it had nothing to do with me being some amazing lawyer. It's literally just an illustration of how powerful the DMCA is. And for folks who use it, now you have to use it properly because you're you're swearing under penalties of perjury that you know what you're saying is truthful. Uh, but if you use it, uh, it's a very, very powerful tool in your bag. And frankly, I just don't see entrepreneurs use it enough. And I think it's just they don't really, you know, they, they don't really get it or they're just... Uh, you know, the kind of the, the flip side of that is they're just like, ah, well, you know, people are going to copy and I can't do anything about it. About it. No, you, you absolutely can and you should. Agreed. Very much so. And again, with the whole thing with the 48 minutes thing, I totally get that. I've had that with um, with client stuff when you're like, yeah, this happened. It's like, I wish that was my fault, but it just so happened we happened to get it done at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a good record to have. Now, curiously speaking on this, um, outside of, because we did touch on Amazon FBA a little bit here, and you have actually given yeah, yeah. a crap load of information around it, which is brilliant. So I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of that can be yeah. applicable to e-commerce as well, even if it's in different websites like Shopify or something. A- um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, a curiosity I have as well for someone like who is a blogger, for instance, mm-hmm. um, their rights in their own right. And the reason I bring this up is because, again, my the majority of my audience, uh, while they do have Amazon FBA accounts and stuff like that, Shopify, most of them are just like digital entrepreneurs that have different service-based businesses and products and blogs. Sure. From that perspective, because that is their authorship of what they have, what do they need to have on their website? Because that's uh, some of the legal documents a lot of websites, unfortunately, still don't have or don't have the money to afford to get a lawyer to actually draw them up for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, just as you think about, and and I know you mentioned kind of at the at the top of the podcast, you know, the FTC and other governmental entities that run around and and uh, you know, kind of take down websites as you were. You know, if you're just if you're a blogger, right? You're you know, maybe you're a travel blogger, and you know what you're doing is you know uploading amazing images of the places where you're going. You know, kind of writing about your experiences there. You're not really, you know, maybe you're selling, you know, a course, something to that effect. What you need are, are kind of two things. One, a basic set of terms and conditions, something that basically you know acknowledges as as people are using the website what they can do with it, right? It, it might be you know if you're uh, you know want to uh, you know kind of get those photos out, your stories out. Maybe you, you want to allow people to just pl- publish them you know everywhere, or you know maybe for whatever reason the content on your blog you want it to be a little more restrictive and maybe you want the you know users to ask you before they they publish it via certain channels all of these things would be addressed in your terms of service right just you know basic use rights then you know it, you know there's oftentimes there, there's this uh, belief that there's this magic language in the law that you know by waving a magic wand or writing certain words that you you know lawyers can absolve people from liability 
And while that's not necessarily true, you can add certain things to uh, website terms of conditions and other contracts, for example, that would help insulate you from risk. So things such as a limitation of liability to say, you know, listen, I don't care what you do uh, with the stuff on my website, but if it harms anybody or if you get in trouble for using it or, you know, you take action on it and you lose your house because, you know, you just didn't implement the advice we gave you the right way, the most you could recover from us in any sort of lawsuit would be, you know, a dollar, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars. You know, basically just kind of, you know, insulating yourself from risk through words in a contract. Similar things such as, you know, if you uh, you know, you're free to use all this content on my site, but if you go out and, you know, mix it with some other content, kind of mash it up and create this new digital asset and get dragged in a lawsuit, and I get dragged in a lawsuit too, because the content that you used was is kind of the basis of a part of the lawsuit and nothing else. Well, you're going to indemnify me. You're going to defend me. You're going to hold me harmless. Like it's not my fault. I'm washing my hands of it. You know, as you use that content, I'm, I'm free and clear of it. Um, so things like that in, in kind of a basic terms of service. In terms of a privacy policy, you know, as you're collecting information about people, you know, really ask yourself, what kind of information are you collecting? If you're just a blog and, you know, you're not really, you know, people aren't logging in, people aren't giving credit card information. It's literally, you know, maybe they uh, just, they just kind of, you know, peruse your site and that's it. Maybe you've got a cookie, maybe you've got a pixel that's attached. Well, you need to let them know what information you're collecting, what you're doing with it, um, you know, who's, who might be receiving it, you know, parameters, you know, basic parameters there. But the more information you collect, you know, again, whether it's, you know, PCI data, I've got, you know, uh, I've got credit card information going back and forth. Maybe I've got social security uh, information. Maybe I've got, maybe you run some sort of medical site. Now, you know, people are disclosing, you know, certain health conditions to you. That really ratchets up the level of security and privacy that you need to have around that information. And again, that privacy policy is going to state all the particulars of what you're collecting, how it might be used, how people, you know, if they want to get that information back, how they're able to, um, and, and a formal process for that. So lots of, honestly, and I'll get asked this by, by folks a good bit, can I just pull a template off the internet? And you can, and, and frankly, all lawyers start from the template in some form or fashion. But, but again, as you get more serious about your business, you're really going to want to have somebody that, that knows what they're doing in terms of crafting those policies that fit your business model, specifically around data protection, just because, you know, that's, especially as we go more online, that, that, that is becoming a very, very sensitive issue across the, across the globe. Yeah. Massively, especially with the amount that gets stored right now and making sure you got the right, uh, everything ready to basically, as you said, protect yourself and get things, yeah, keep things from uh, folding over. So one of my favorite questions on the show is, um, we haven't really touched upon the strategies you've used for yourself in your own business to bring in different, um, to bring in new clients and stuff. Yeah. One of the questions I am going to ask you is a little bit left field because it's a modified version of my favorite ones of this show. Okay. Um, so you're going to get the you're going to be the first of doing this, which is I, I'm the guinea pig. Adam. You're the I guinea like pig. This. I'm the guinea, the guinea pig. pig. Okay. Okay. Cool. So with your business and how you built it up, how did you actually do so? And who would you say would be a marketing, um, not maven or like a marketing hero that you looked at and went right? I like how you do business, and I'm going to follow your advice. Um, who was that person for you, and why? Oh, that's that, Adel. That's a, that's a great question. Um, 
You know, it's, it's, as I look back kind of on my own journey, I, I started out just kind of stupid. I mean, I, I literally thought, you know, if you have a good service offering, you, you provide good counsel to folks, yeah. uh, you can launch a website and just people will, you know, it's just, Flop it'll be you. like if ringing you, a bell and people will just, you've got a site, like, boom, they just, they just show up in droves. Feel the dreams. Feel the dreams, like build it and they will come, right? Yeah, like, right. you know, got a good site, you know. Yeah, that doesn't that's that doesn't happen Absolutely. at all. It I quickly, really I, no, it no. If you have that belief, uh, you you need to. I've got some swampland in Florida. I'd like to sell. Yeah, um, it does not happen. It it takes, you know. It, ultimately, I think back to and I experimented with all sorts of stuff, right? You know, you know, PPC and and you know, create, you know, have a have a website. But ultimately, what what where I found my my client base, where I found my voice, I think, as a as a lawyer, and who I wanted to serve was was through relationships. And ironically, it just it started on Facebook. Uh, if I think back to early days, I had um, joined a, a a Facebook group for would be entrepreneurs. It was it was Noah Kagan's How You Make Your First Dollar, and um, you know I joined it not even thinking about you know joining the group to like pitch legal services or whatever, but it was really just kind of scratching that entrepreneurial itch that that I had and trying to figure it out myself. And, and I saw so many people in that group just kind of ask, and I don't mean this the way it sounds, but dumb questions, right? Like, hey, uh, you know, I'm out there hustling and somebody wants me to paint their house. I don't need a contract for that, right? I can just like go paint their house and they'll pay me. Like they're obligated to pay me. I'm like, no, that's, you should probably get something right. That's that's dumb. Don't do that. Or, hey, I'm going to I'm going to uh, start a website and I found all these cool images on Google Images. I, I, that's cool to copy them and just put them on the website, right? I'm like, no, don't do that. And so started to just have conversations with ultimately the people that I would serve, listen to them and started to, to, to learn. And and honestly, from those relationships, you know, I I, uh, I ran into a, a guy by the name of Steve Summers. He's he's over at Marketplace Superheroes, which One is a, a course close, that teaches it. Yeah, yeah. Very close friends. Um, and we just struck up a conversation, right? And so, you know, as we're as we're chatting, you know, he's like, oh man, I used to, I had an interest in the law and I think legal stuff's cool and I've got this course thing going and, um, you know, Hey, let's talk about it. Right. And so just started talking to him and then started talking to his business partner and then started that got me, you know, kind of headed down the, uh, the private label path in terms of supporting sellers. But, you know, as, as, as I ultimately it was, it was being in, it was relationship you know, doing a good job and then word of mouth that really takes a long time. Uh, and it's a slow, it's a slow boil, if you will. But after you do it for a good bit, I think it's the most powerful marketing that exists, right? In terms of, you know, you do good for people, you do right by people, and they tell other people. And it's just those, you know, that's been far more effective than any YouTube thing I've done or PPC thing that I've done. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the power of relationships. Now, in terms of people that I've looked up to in the space, um, Steven, uh, absolutely is, is number one. He's quietly, I think quietly under the radar, at least for now, though, I, I don't think he's going to be quietly under the radar for long much now. longer. He really, he's, he's helped my business leaps and bounds in terms of implementing some of the simplest things that you might ever think. Uh, to really spur some massive growth. So Stephen Summers is top shelf for me in terms of uh, you know the online marketing space. Uh, and also, you know Russell Brunson, I think is is certainly I love you know the notion of funnels and you know offer creation. I think that's really one of the the challenges in the legal spaces. 
number one, in law school, they don't teach you how to, to build a law practice. They teach you how to think about the law, but they don't teach you the business aspects of law. Uh, but even if you do have some sort of mentoring around that, the legal profession doesn't really look at um, legal services as being offers, right? It's, well, you know, obviously you're going to need this because I'm a lawyer and you should just pay me whatever fees. I, that's not that's not how the online economy works, right? You have to be able to put something in front of your your client or your potential client to, that makes sense for them, not only from just a, oh, you need this sort of perspective, but from a value perspective. And so um, it's been really fun for me to, to kind of take traditional legal principles, things like a trademark registration, for example, and put it into an offer that's more than that for clients. And I, I'll give you an example. You know, a lot of my clients, they don't know what they don't know, right? And so, you know, understanding that, I'm like, okay, well, they need a trademark and they, they're going to need a copyright and they need to form a business. But, you know, we don't really know what order. So I created an offer called an action plan. It's literally, it's a little dose of education where there's a one hour, you know, kind of mini course on, here's a crash course on all the legalities you need to understand about selling online or doing business online. And then there's a consultative piece of me sitting down and saying, let me just, let me get to know your business. Like, what are you, what's your why? Like, why are you doing this? What are you looking to do with your business? Where are you looking to go? Cool. You know, 20 minute, 30 minute hour conversation, kind of depending upon where it goes. Then I run off and I create what's called an action plan based upon, you know, where you are in your journey. Here's, here's, you know, the four next steps that you could take over the course of the year to make sure that you're doing business in a smart way. Right. And I present that plan to them and boom, they're done. It, it's, it was, you know, it's something again that Stephen helped me launch and get my mind around offers instead of just, you know, services per se. And, and you know, it's, obviously for me, it's a nice little source of, of income, but more importantly, it's been really impactful, you know, for those folks who, who took a, a, a part of it, um, you know, this confidence that I've seen in them to say, okay, I get it. I've got a blueprint. Like, let's just march down this path. It's, it's been, it's been really cool. So, so, you know, offer creation and, and I do give a lot of credit to Russell there. Cause I think, you know, he's a really, he does a really good job of, of getting you thinking that way. Uh, but certainly Steven top shelf for me. I would agree. Steven's a great guy and he's absolutely brilliant in the way that he thinks, in my opinion. Um, and it's just so true because like I've actually successfully, somewhat successfully, I say haphazardly, I'd say, um, run my copywriting business for the last 12 years, primarily on referrals. Yeah. And it all came from relationships because, and it's so true what you're saying. So guys, take note of this uh, take note of everything we've discussed today because it's incredibly powerful information that he's actually, I, I hadn't, I'll hand it to you, Robert. You managed to take a very snoozeworthy subject and actually make it so interesting. It's ridiculous. Well, thank you. That, that's kind. I told you the, at the outset, you know, there's a reason, you know, people are batting off all the lawyers because we don't normally, we're not normally interesting. So I appreciate well, that. It's not so much that you, a lot of the time, I think lawyers speak in legalese and they haven't figured out how to have a conversation with a normal person, not a normal person, a person that isn't in the legal realm. Like we don't understand this, like explain this to us simply. <laughs> In, in a way that makes sense. Now, I, I kind of always joke that that's one of the things they beat out, out of you in law school is, uh, you know, this the, the ability to relate with people because you're just with other type A personalities and, you know, whoever can use the biggest, fanciest word wins. Um, I, you know, nobody wants that, right? Like, you know, I, I jokingly say that, you know, we, we you know, put so much Latin in, in, you know, the documents that we draft is just it makes us you know, feel entitled to charge, you know, a higher billable rate. I think that's dumb. I think that's stupid. I think, you know, ultimately the law is about serving your, your client 
And, you know, folks that are launching a business or folks that have a business and they just want to grow and scale safely, they don't need all that stuff. They don't need window dressing. Like if what you, if the value that you offer is good, solid value, people will run to it. And if you dress it up with Latin or, you know, $5 words as I call them, well, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. That's just, that's Bush League to me. Exactly. I was going to say, it's just, it really just follows that exact same um, thought pattern that people just can't. Uh, have that relationship and actually talk to them. And some that will give advice to other lawyers that may listen to this if you're struggling with your service, follow Robert. But also, um, I would suggest doing what copywriters do all the time, which is talk to your audience like they're 10-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Sounds insulting as all hell. Like when you can talk to your audience like they're children, they're grown adults. Yes, they are. But most people don't read books after the age of 10, uh, after, the, after a certain age. They just start reading books after high school. Um and if your person is the average person down the street that you really want to talk to, talk to them like a 10-year-old, meaning that you, you're not downplaying to them, but you're using simple language that is very easy to understand and can't be alluded to. As you said, is isn't a $5 word. It's just a very straightforward yeah. conversation to have. Yeah. That being, that being said, one of my favorite questions to ask you uh, in this is going to be slightly out of left field and a little bit more fun, which is... If you were to name five books that were nonfiction that you'd recommend to any one of your friends... What five books would they be and why? And also, are you a movie guy? Yes or no? Oh, well, let's start with the movie question because that's the, that's the simplest one. I'm absolutely a movie guy. Top I am a tremendous... Oh, It's better than a five because you're going to oh, be like, man. oh, who do I put in a five? It's like, oh, jeez. Okay, in no particular order, I'm able to do it in no particular yeah, order. No particular order, because I'm okay. assuming you're like me. You're like, I love so many movies. There's no order, but these are just ones I enjoy. Oh, yeah. Well, I, number one, top shelf for me, uh, Shawshank Redemption. I've probably watched it a million times. Uh, get busy living or get busy dying, you're damn right. Uh, quote to live by, if, if you ask me. Um, certainly, you got to put Die Hard in there, uh, best hey. Christmas movie of all time. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yes. I, I, <laughs> so, I yeah. Dude, I put out a poll a couple of years ago saying Die Hard, Christmas movie, yes or no, to prove to my friend. And they were 100% like, Christmas. it isn't, it's yeah. a 90, it was a 90, 10. And the people who were in the 10%, I just, I didn't argue. I debated and said, how is it not? And yeah. if you, if you look at the variables, uh, actually, you know what? We're going to lawyer this right now. Okay. Yeah. We're going to lawyer <laughs> okay, and go. ordain let's this. Do it. Okay. My, yeah, uh, yeah. We're both on the same side. My thing is, why is it a Christmas movie? It takes place at Christmas. It is a movie about a family coming together because the movie starts off very in a terrible place. He's separated from his wife. By the end, they're yeah. back together, and there's a redemption arc. That makes it, it a Christmas it, well, movie. 100%. So remove all the all the explosions, all the weaponry, all the police running around. Like Take the, all that out of that, and effectively is, is exactly what you have, right? You have a, have a man you know, fighting for his family, isolated, you know, just in the dumps, right? And uh, his life going off the rails, and through a series of unfortunate events, or, or fortunate, depending on how you look at it, um, he gets that back, right? He's he's redeemed, and and to me, um, you know, it, it, it throw some guns into It's a Wonderful Life, and and you got a parallel to I was uh, to thinking Die just that exact oh. same movie. I was oh. like, I bet this is this is a wonderful life with guns. Yeah, no, if if yeah, Jimmy Stewart had had you know a machine gun, you, you basically got Die Hard, uh, you know, exactly. back in. All you, all you really need is uh, like you just really really need someone to take on Alan Rickman's voice. Like, because yes, Alan Rickman yes, yes. was like that was his first big movie, by the way. Yeah, 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so we got Shawshank, we got Die Hard. Uh, we got Shawshank, we've got Die Hard, uh, Total Geek, uh, so Star Wars. Yes, um, I'm actually counting that as one. That's just one because yeah. like, there, there's so many, yeah. but we got to say the original trilogy is the best. I have to, yeah, that hands down. Uh, Empire clearly is, you know, clearly, I, I, my, my kids were arguing with me this, about this the other day. I was, I was actually watching Empire because, you know, it's more quarantined and, you know, you've got Disney Plus and it's all available to you. And I'm How just like, this? yeah, like it, here we are. Like it's still the absolute best Star Wars movie. Like, you know, Return of the Jedi, nope. You know, and Ewoks running around doesn't do it for you. Uh, a new, a new hope, hope was badass. I'd say a new hope was the closest it got to Empire in terms of yeah. like good. But then it goes off the rail so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go back. I wa- I watched a little bit of Attack of the Clones the other day, and I couldn't take dude, but ten minutes of it. I dude. didn't remember it being so horrible. Oh, dude, um, I I had. Uh, so do you mind if I share a horror story about yeah, that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still I still get shit from my cousins about this because I'm like out of my family, I'm the biggest nerd. Yeah. I've been I've been a Star Wars nerd since because uh, in the nineties they did a re release in theaters and I was like six or oh, seven. Oh yeah, yeah, with all the new effects and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was there. Yeah, uh, I actually went to rewatch. I went to watch it for the first time in the theater. So for me, it was like I didn't realize it was a movie shot in the seventies. I thought it was a movie made in the nineties. It wasn't until I was older that I was told it was the seventies. Like, oh, that's amazing because you know, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Um, Attack of the Clones came out around the same time the first Spider Man movie came out with Sam Raimi. Yeah, and we all went to the cinema, and I think I'm like I think I'm like eleven or twelve years old, and I remember telling my family, I'm like, "All right, you guys, cousins and all, can go watch Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go watch Star Wars." Yeah, They're like why? I was like, "Cause you told me we were coming to watch Star Wars. Why would I come here?" They're like, "Spider Man." I'm like, "You want to watch Spider Man? I want to watch Star Wars." Yeah, I'll be done around the same time. My movie's slightly longer than yours, and it starts beforehand. I'll be out before you guys, and I'll just chill out here if I get finished early. If you guys finish up early, go get some food, message me, and I'll, you know, come get me. It's right next door, and I'll come next door, and I'll join you for food. No yeah. big deal. Like, I was like, my sister, you know exactly, like, you know what my, um, you know what my order is. You know, yeah. it's chicken. Get me chicken. It's easy. Yeah. Um, but they're like, no, no, no. So in the end, they were like, for some really weird reason, they all kind of gave in to me, which is kind of a real ability, my influencing powers from the <laughs> Your, your Jedi, Jedi mind tricks. My, my Jedi mind tricks. You will come watch this movie with me. Yeah. I got so much shit for it because it was so terrible. There is one good scene in that movie. It's when Yoda goes crazy for about 30 seconds. That's yeah. it. That's like yeah. the best scene of that movie. Like, I can summate I, that movie in three lines. <laughs> Yoda it's, does it's, cool shit for three, th- Yoda, three Yoda, minutes. Yoda, yeah, he goes, you know, you think about it, <clears throat> and uh, it's a bad movie. I didn't realize, like, I guess I was so invested in the prequels in terms of, okay, this is, this is, I, the whole thing for me is, well, how does Anakin go yeah, to the dark Darth, side, right? Yeah. Like, I just want to see that, right? And I literally wrote Lucas a letter on that, uh, on that yeah. third one, you know, because it's so bad. I'm like, I'd really like my money back. Like, that was, that was awful, you know, he just all of a sudden decides, ah, I'll be a Sith Lord. Like, I'll just drop to my knees and, you know, you've had years with Obi-Wan, right? But now just, ah, oh, Padme, you know, uh, now I'm now I'm bad. Like, are you serious? Like, you, I, I spent how much money and how much time over the course of years to get to that where the guy's just like, okay, well, you can show me how to save her. Like, I'll just totally throw out the window everything I've learned from and the people in. who picked and believed in from the people who picked me up on a desert planet and brought me here. Yeah, sure. Let's just go ahead and change my name too. I'll be Darth Vader. 
give me my money back. I want it all back. It's awful. Okay. Awful. So before we jump off the subject, I am going to say the Clone Wars movies, the Clone Wars movie and the Clone Wars TV show that's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Oh my God, is helping me redeem my hatred for that trilogy. <laughs> because, you know, I. Yeah. It's, it's actually like showing you what Anakin went through between Clone Wars and um, Revenge of the Sith. It shows you how his psychology is shifting and how he becomes more of an arrogant, brash kid. Because the people give Hayden... Okay, I will say this much. People give Hayden Christensen way too much shit for that character, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 He wasn't the best, but you also have to remember the direction he was following, which is you're, you're a confused man that doesn't know what you're doing. You feel detached from all of this and you're conflicted with thoughts like you're a teenager. He basically played a teenager on screen. Yes, yes, so, I, I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. So that, I think, that, that's, I think, that's that. I think Hayden gets a lot of salt thrown his way, and I, I don't think he did a bad job. I think I think it was a, I think it was a bad character. Bad I, it was just a bad I really do bad script for sure. And and sorry to all the the writers, but uh, no, um, no. you know I haven't I haven't <laughs> you know you go back and and it's one thing to just kind of go back and just you know pull out an episode and watch it just without context. The Clone Wars, I mean, Anakin's actually pretty creepy. Right, like or Attack of the Clones. He's he's you know like all of a sudden he's like oh Padme's gonna show up like I'm oh man I'm stopped thinking about her and you know like get out of here you creeper a weirdo yeah, yeah and so, so that whole movie is that it's just bizarre it really is and one last thing I will say before Star Wars is some yeah. of the new movies have actually been pretty good though I will say the last trilogy that just came out um, just funny story between us actually between mm-hmm. all of us. Uh, I actually refused to watch The Rise of Skywalker in the theater until a friend made me go watch it. Really? They're like, look, you've seen all of them in the theater. You can't... Like, I even went to watch Solo. And I will say Solo, stronger movie than what the last movie that I saw. And it's really yeah. sad because um, if Ryan Johnson had written all three movies, I think it would have been a brilliant movie. Uh, yeah. And if J.J. Abrams had written all three movies, it would have been an excellent saga. But because they combined together, it was like water and oil that just didn't mix. But Agreed. the thing that made me laugh was I'm not going to tell everyone what the scene is, but you know the scene right at the end where Kylo and um, Ray kind of have Ray. that moment. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as that happened, my we were in a near damn near empty theater. There were only like ten people total in there. We had yeah. our own row. My feet were up, and something that a lot of people don't realize about me is I grew up in technically a rough neighborhood. Like I grew up in a quote unquote like the hood is essentially was like it was low income housing. Okay. There was a lot of violence and shit like that. Yeah. So my voice over the years has become more refined to be more articulate. But as I like to say, the little ghetto voice comes out every so often. <laughs> okay. They That happened. And no word of a lie, I clapped my hands and went, oh, shit, I'm done with Star Wars. I was like, no, I'm done with Star Wars. Literally <laughs> out loud in the theater without even thinking. And like my friend looked, I looked at my friend afterwards, like, what? They're like, do you realize how loud you are? I was like, I, how loud was, like, you were, I was like, oh shit, sorry. So I apologized to everyone, but at the same time, I was like, no one can disagree with me. No, I, I agree. I think a lot of people, it, there were a lot of unhappy people leaving that theater. I, you know, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but you're just kind of, if you're like me, someone who sat, you know, all nine films, man, you know, for better or worse, like I've seen them all. Same. You're just kind of like, uh, you know, did, I don't know about this. This just seems to have gone somewhere that I didn't think it was going to get. Okay, I'm done. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, may, and maybe it's just the Skywalker saga. May, put a pin in it. It's good. We closed it out and something new will happen. I will tell you this. If you've watched the, uh, the Mandalorian, you know, I had a lot of people saying, oh, you got to watch the Mandalorian. I'm like, eh, okay, 
really, really solid. It took a little bit for me to warm up to it, but I really, really like it. If they start doing more stuff kind of like that, that's Star Wars centric, but it's got a little bit of an angle or a little bit of an edge, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. It's that. got its own thing going because the Star Wars universe has some incredible stories outside of just the Skywalkers, which is brilliant. Um, but what I will say is if you haven't seen – so Rogue One, I absolutely enjoyed I'll like, be honest with you. I'll put Rogue One right next to Empire. I, I really it thought was so that was good. well done. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bit with Vader at the end. Oh, oh dude, that, that gave me chills because I was like, that is, you, that is the Vader I wanted. Well, and, and I, I appreciate that on several levels because one, they could have screwed that up pretty good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They really could have messed that up. It was up. not so a hard way to screw that up. No, I mean, it was basically saying, I'm, I'm going to go into a hornet's nest here because there's about a million ways that if I just make one wrong move, I'm going to get to, I'm going to, I'm going to basically defame and kill an iconic character in a moment in the timeline where he's supposed to be that guy that you're scared to death of. He is um, the John Wick of that universe at that moment. Yes. And, and so being able to present that and actually doing it, uh, hats off to everybody in, in the Rogue One, because that was, that was well, well done, fit perfectly. Actually, the entire story just fit neatly in there before, you know, A New Hope. Um, so perfectly, just, every just, actor did brilliantly. Yeah, no, it was it was it was great, and and so you know, I, Empire is just it's classic, but Rogue One they they did that the right way. Solo, you mentioned Solo the other day earlier. Yeah, I, I not as bad as I think people make it out yeah. to be. I, it's it's actually everything. not a bad story. Um, there's, I think there's a few bits that's a bit weird. There's a, like, there's a, f- a few bits that you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. But it's not not as not as bad as people say it is. I think the problem is Harrison Ford's Han Solo. Like that's just yeah, he's, you can't he's, you can't replace you can't, him. I, no. I don't even I don't even think it was that personally for me after watching it back. That's not the thing that annoyed me. It's the sheer fact that if you look at the way that Star Wars, that Lucasfilms and Disney handled Solo, I mean, you, they got, um, oh my God, what's his name? Howard, Ron Howard. They got him into direct at the end. Yeah. He had three months to come up with a whole new workable script from the shit show they gave him, shoot and produce and edit this thing in 90 days. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry, but it's a Star Wars movie and you told them to do it in 90 days. They didn't even do the original Star Wars in 90 days. It took them like quite a while. So you're yeah. actually asking for what it is. It's brilliant for me. No, uh, and I and I think when you recognize that, then you're like, you know what? He, who knows what it was before Howard got involved, right? Yeah. But but you know, the story's not bad. It goes a couple places. You're like, I don't know if we really needed that. Lando was a little over the top in it. I thought I actually um, loved the Lando. I loved Lando. Did because you? I'm a huge Donald Glover fan. I was starstruck at the fact that I actually loved Donald Glover, but I love that. Oh, and here's a side thing that you may may have seen, but you may have missed. You know when they actually, and this is a spoiler, where they kind of uh, tap the companion into the mainframe of the Falcon? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a reference back to that in A New Hope when um, C-3PO oh, C-3PO's or R2 is trying to talk to him. This is a really unusual operating system or something to that effect, yeah, right? That's basically, <laughs> it's, a, it's such a lovely little callback. Plus, also, I, yeah. love, I, love, I love the fact that Donald Glover played Lando because... While Han and Lando are iconic characters, casting Han is going to be hard regardless because Harrison Ford. But again, if, yeah. I, if I even look at it as just a character and go, okay, if I had to get someone else to play Harrison Ford, this guy would be my top five. 
I would definitely put him in my top five of people that could play Harrison quite well because he had some of the mannerisms down. But yeah. Lando, it was over the moment like Donald Glover stepped in those shoes because he took on Lando's persona. Because if you think about how Lando was seen as being quite a flamboyant, flirtatious kind of guy that lived life by his own slickness. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. I I thought he was a little over the top in, a little in places. Over the top, though. Yeah, but I, I but I will say, and maybe it was the the robot thing floating around with them too, which was just I just just give me Lando. I don't need the robot hanging around. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the robot was cool, but, but still, no, no, it was good. It was good. Yes, it, 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 that has nothing to do with the law. How do we we got off on Star Wars for a good we bit? We, maybe you should start a start a, a podcast on Star Wars. We can start a YouTube channel or something. Oh, dude, That's, I would totally money do that. Well, what I would probably do is I'd probably do a movie <laughs> podcast where I just talk movies all day. But okay, so we got Star Wars, and there is a reason I was leading to all this. So we got Star Wars the quadrilogy um it's so many we die hard we had shawshank. shawshank okay let's put two more because like we're looking at the time right now yeah we're, we're getting close uh oh classic movies um gotta be you know the i, I, I hate to circle back with a christmas movie but a christmas story uh is a classic movie. in our house uh searching for red rider i think we as as kids have all had our a Red Rider BB gun that we've gone after and and you know either gotten or not gotten, so I have to put that on the list. And uh, the final movie I'll go with is classics, something that I love. I'm gonna go with Jaws. Jaws still scares me. Um, uh, Jaws scares you know, everyone. If if you yeah. didn't, if you, like I watched Jaws when I was like six, to this day it terrifies me creepy as i think about creepy movies jaws like you get in the ocean even to this day i'm like you know a little bit wary gremlins also a very scary movie i couldn't have my feet dangling in a uh, you know on a movie theater uh, seat for a while thinking that gremlins were going to jump out and uh, and get me so uh, also also creepy and a christmas movie uh, interestingly enough so i would agree so we got some incredible movie recommendations for you guys but the reason i was asking for these is because i always like to tell people that look if you look at something like a movie and how the story is structured, you can usually find a way to build that into your advertising. And the way that it works in with the lore as well, what you're saying is, if you cover your ass and use the exact same frameworks of a movie, but with your business and story and your marketing, you actually have a very strong powerhouse going in. Because you covered your ass so that way you're not breaching any copyright laws. And of course, you have the fair use laws that you need to be aware of, of what you can use and what you can't use in a visual representation of a story. I, I think I think that I think that's spot on. No, I think I think I think you're right. I mean, you know, and I think the I think even a, a maybe even a larger point is don't don't be hesitant to find inspiration in things that are that are, that are non traditional, right? Whether it's a whether it's a movie, whether it's a song, whether it's a you know I don't know what it is. Like go, there's inspiration to be had everywhere if you just kind of look at it from the right frame of reference, right? Um, so so yeah, I think that's just a life lesson there. For sure. It's going to be pretty cool, dude. But yeah. uh, it's, it's a life lesson for sure. So, guys, go check out Council in the Cloud. If that's the right domain. Let me double just, just double check. Yep, councilinthecloud.com. Yep, yep. Go check it out. Go opt in for your free giveaway. And more importantly, Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. I'm so glad we got to do this. No, me um, too. Me too. It was fun, fun, fun. It's a lot of fun. And thank you for bringing all the knowledge you did today. All right, guys. No, no we'll problem. See- I appreciate the opportunity. For sure. Guys, go ahead and rate, subscribe, um, and of course, review the show. We actually love all the reviews they send in. Speak soon and have an amazing weekend. Robert, thanks again for being here. Take care, guys. Thank you.